Hello, my name is Ashali, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we will be launching our new podcast series, The Feel Good View, presented by UT Dallas Feel Good. Our new series is going to feature transformative conversations surrounding the topic of hunger and poverty and the ways in which young people are taking action to create a better and more sustainable future for all. Our goal is to highlight the incredible people dedicated to this social movement. Today, I am joined by one of those people, Erin East. Erin founded a chapter of Feel Good herself at the University of Virginia and has moved on to become a senior officer of grants and contracts at The Hunger Project, which serves as Feel Good's umbrella organization. So hello, Erin. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. The first question I have for you is, what is your role at The Hunger Project and how did you first hear about Feel Good and The Hunger Project? Um, I guess I'll start chronologically for me, which is how I heard about um, Feel Good and the Hunger Project. And it was pretty much simultaneous. I had a very dear friend from uh, high school and actually middle school um, who went to Columbia and there's a Feel Good chapter Columbia. Mm -hmm. And she was constantly posting about it and was just like, man, that looks so cool. She's doing so much. There's like concrete actions she's taking to have a, a real effect on the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just really interested in that space of international development, poverty alleviation, the end of hunger. And I, um, yeah, was like, hey, this is something I could do. So I found a few friends and the next thing I know, we were founding our own chapter. And the, at that point, there were four, there were two organizations that Feel Good was partnering with. It was the Hunger Project and Choice Humanitarian. And so when we were introduced to Feel Good as an idea of like, this is how you started on your campus. This is what it means. This is what your role would be. This is how it works. I was then also introduced to the Hunger Project. Um, and that was in 2013. Oh, wow. <laughs> sounds like a really long time when I say it out loud. <laughs> I was 12 years old at the time. so. And now I realize that I feel old when I talk to even my own chapter. I'm the University of Virginia's Changemaker Igniter. And they're like, oh, yeah, we weren't, we weren't really around then. I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> okay. Got it. Noted. Um, so that was how I came to uh, the Hunger Project via Feel Good. And I co-founded the UVA chapter with a few friends and it's still going strong. As I said, I'm their Changemaker Igniter CI, which is like a chapter advisor, cheerleader, connection, support, and um, they're doing great. So it's been really gratifying to see the chapter still survives to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, my role at the Hunger Project, I'm a senior officer of grants and contracts, which is just a very fancy title for someone who makes sure that the money we are getting is going to where it needs to go and the people that need to know about it know about it uh, in as few words as possible. The uh, restricted funding arena of nonprofits is a very uh, complicated, can be a very complicated business. And in the Hunger Project, there are many stakeholders and players at work. So it's a lot of information cultivation and making sure that it's flowing to the right people, to the right people from the right people. And everyone's everyone that knows who needs to know knows. Mm -hmm. That's really cool that you got a position from a club that you started in university, like it moved on towards your career as well. 
It is a little crazy to think about. Um, and I ended up at the Hunger Project because of a internship from college. I remember I was chatting with a friend. She's like, well, what do you want to do? I had no job. It was definitely like we were all, we, we were basically graduating. I had no job, no internship lined up. And I was fretting because she was an engineer. So she had like a job lined up since October, a plan, a vision. And I was feeling very at sea. She's just, she's like, okay, what's your dream job? What's your dream position anywhere? And I was like doing anything for the hunger project. I will mop their floors. I will get their coffee. I will mm-hmm. clean their coffee machine. Like I will do whatever if I can work for them. And then maybe a month later, I had the internship and from the internship got hired in a temp position for a few months and then got brought on full-time. So it was a a dream come true in many ways. Now it's like, okay, I've had my dream job. What's my next dream job? I don't know. Cause I'm still really loving this one. Um, but yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. So I also read your little, I think it was a small article that you wrote for the feel good website. And it was talking about being invited to speak at the United Nations winter youth assembly. Uh, when I was reading that, I think you described uh, getting the invitation as exciting as getting a personal tweet from Beyonce. Uh, what was it like getting to represent Feel Good, and what was the best part of your experience there? Oh, that's so funny. I should have gone back and read that. I don't even remember that I wrote that. Um, I was a little worried. It was like, oh no, there's going to be something that I have no recollection of. Um, I remember the preparation for it and it was, I was working for the hunger project at the time. Um, but I was representing feel good. So I, it was some, it was someone that worked at THP that was big in our like UN advocacy space. And she had a slot to fill and she was inviting youth organizations in the space of ending hunger um, representations from representatives from each of those organizations. And I remember one other organization was Campus Kitchens and there were a few other, I think there was someone from Hala there maybe, but it was so long ago, I don't remember. Maybe it says in my article. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was exciting. And I remember like going in my fancy suit and like cutting the line because I was the speaker, which at the time was like, ooh, feels like VIP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we got in the room. It was like a side panel room. We weren't in the big, the big hall. And it was a maybe hour and 30 minute session. And the first like 45 minutes, I think were just uh, speeches and like presentations. And then there was a few minutes for like brainstorming, workshopping, big questions that I think either were generated by the group or that we posed and the youth that were present as participants um, were there to think through. Um, as I recall, I was incredibly nervous and did a very poor job with my speech. (laughs) I was so like heart in my throat could barely get a word out. And I don't think I did very well, but I remember Mm -hmm. the experience fondly because it felt like a big, a big responsibility and an honor to represent, um, feel good and the hunger project in a space that is, super impressive and um hopefully for those 50 or 60 kids they remember something of it fondly but yeah it was it was I think the first like oh this is a big deal and I feel very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time for this big deal to happen to me 
Mm-hmm. It was it was cool. No, yeah, I can definitely relate. Like speaking at the UN is such an honor and I would be so nervous as well. Even speaking in to my normal classes, like sometimes I get nervous. So I, I completely understand. Oh, and I felt so, it was like, you know, when you prepare and you're like, I'm ready, I'm confident. And then just got up there and it, I was like, I want to fall through a <laughs> hole in the floor. I am nervous. I could barely look up from my sheet. And I was just like, it was not good. I think I've gotten better at public speaking since then, but it was like, oh no, I tried so hard to be good and I feel like I failed. (laughs) Now more into some deeper questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So when people think of hunger, they often associate the issue with um, the lack of availability of food. However, as you and I know, there are several factors that can um, contribute to it, such as like climate change or discrimination, gender inequality, Um, politics, war, and more recently, even diseases like COVID-19. So the Hunger Project has a very ambitious mission, um, which is to end hunger by 2030. So my question to you is, with all these different factors contributing to one problem, how is it possible for us to address all of them by 2030? Yeah, great question. Uh, One that I think the world wrestles with every day. So the goal of ending hunger by 2030 is one sustainable development goal of 17, goal number two. Um, And so, yeah, the hunger project is a part of it and we're not the only ones, thankfully, Mm -hmm. because I think, yeah, we would be well, well, well matched and it would be tough to do it by ourselves. And I think the first... Well, the question about like, okay, so what is hunger? We know that hunger is not just not enough access to food, especially in a crisis situation. And I think Mm -hmm. when, especially in a U.S. context, when a lot of people think about hunger internationally and not like down the street of like a houseless population or um, a family that is having trouble finding access to food in food deserts or um, can't afford food or the food they can't afford isn't nutritious enough. The, the way to think about hunger in an international context is in some ways more similar to those same access issues instead of a famine or uh, like a severe acute scarcity issue. Because mm-hmm. I think when a lot of people think about hunger, they think of like bloated bellies, starving children, And that can happen and it is terrible. Um, But the majority of hunger, of hungry people in the world is actually a um, a not severe uh, acute issue in that sense. It's more of access, reliable access to healthy and nutritious food, which is a more complicated problem to solve than get emergency rations to X place tomorrow. Um, so the difficulty surrounding, um, the challenge of world hunger is less of, um, there isn't enough food being grown or it's not being grown in the right places, but more of why don't communities have access to food or why is the food they have access to not nutritious enough? Mm Um, maybe they would have access to food, but there are pressing issues surrounding um, time or income constraints where they can't buy seed or fertilizer. And maybe it's 
they could buy seed or fertilizer, but the, um, the surrounding environment is not hospitable to the type of food they think can be grown or can be grown there. Or maybe it's, you need actually to build an irrigation system and have better access to water for any, for it to make sense to plant and grow your own food. Um, and especially as we've seen in COVID-19, it's access for farmers to get to markets, both for inputs and outputs. So, you know, if you can't get to a market, you can't buy your seeds, you can't buy your fertilizer or anything else you might need. Um, and if a farmer can't get what they need, they can't grow what everyone else needs. So then even if you could get to the market, there's going there might be less food there. Um, and then maybe you can't even get to the market and you don't know how to grow your own food or you can't grow enough or you can grow some stuff, but then there's a big gap in your nutritional um, portfolio or the, the diversity of your diet. Um, so when you think about hunger really as like a, a, a central point of a many webbed um, problem that isn't just not enough, act, not enough food is grown or there isn't enough access to food. It's actually a very complex issue that is, has many, many forces um, enforcing it and many possibilities to alleviate it. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's like a chain reaction almost. If one part of the system fails, then kind of the rest of like mm -hmm. those Just systems totally getting... cascades. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yep. I think one of the challenges probably would be to identify which parts of the system are failing and then working to fix those. And then also making sure down the line, you have to make sure that it's actually working, right? So absolutely. And I think the Hunger Project has a really um, unique way of looking at this is that we are, our goal is where, you know, our, our mission, our vision is where a man, every woman, man and child on this planet lives a healthy life full of self-reliance and dignity. Mm -hmm. It's actually, we want everyone to have enough healthy, nutritious food to eat. And you get that by ensuring that people have access to what they need to live a self-reliant life. Um, and so our interventions, our, the activities that we run are not like, here's your food. Thank you very much. See you next week. It's, um, it, it is centered around mindset shift around this idea of perhaps this community does not feel like they have what they need to get out of poverty or to um, have a healthy life. And actually they do. It's the human spirit that is the critical ingredient to all of our work. And then our interventions are not just around hunger or not just around food security or food sovereignty or um, land use or agriculture. It's actually a multifaceted holistic approach uh, to, to solve, to solve that problem and to release people from the, the, um, that condition, because it's not, you cannot do a single thing and hope that everything changes. You have to do mm -hmm. many things to see a little bit of progress in mm -hmm. one thing. Yeah. And that perfectly ties into my next question, which is, um, as you said, one of the things that I find the most interesting about the Hunger Project is their philosophy of not just giving people food, but, you know, making sure that they have the things that they need to get themselves out of hunger. And so as, uh, specifically, I like the part where they uh, begin with women. 
So, and they want to empower them to make sure that they can change um, their own communities. So my question would be like, what exactly does this look like? And what steps have been taken to support rural women all over the world? Because I was reading um, online that actually rural women are at the forefront of the the hunger crisis, which I didn't know that. I That was completely new news to me. So yeah, I was just wondering how the, the Hunger Project is working to support those women. Absolutely. Um, so in all of our, our three pillars are uh, start with women, engage everyone, and then make local government work. And essentially that look, it looks different based on where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can speak to our Africa programs, I think most confidently about this process. And so I'll use them as an example of when you start with women, um, when we start working with the community, it's not, we don't sit, the, the, the discussions don't begin until women are also at the table. And so for a lot of communities, it's like, oh, maybe you sit down with the elders or the men and then women are brought in. And for us, it's like, actually, we know it's important to start with women. And by having that pillar that all of our work includes, ensures that we, the Hunger Project, see women, and especially rural women, as totally equal um, and capable leaders and drivers of their community's development and their own development. Um, And the... (laughs) maybe more nitty gritty mechanics of what that looks like is um, we have a, I guess you could call it a quota, but really it's a minimum um, Mm -hmm. that uh, an epicenter community, which is like a community center for uh, a group of villages or communities in our, um, I think nine African program countries that within a, like 10-ish kilometer radius, there's a um, community center point for um, health services, a school, a rural bank, a farm input shop. And it's sort of perhaps these communities flung 10 kilometers apart together don't have the political clout or voice to demand services and what they are owed and what they deserve. But together, it is enough of a um, point of mass, you could say, where the services can be accessed. There's electricity, there's toilets. So at the epicenter, there's a, a committee that the, the leadership committee, essentially just a executive board in America corporate speak. Um, and half of that board, at least half of that board must be women. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea starting at this point and not starting with some and then catching up later, but really stating that intention and being very clear about it from the beginning sets a totally different tone for communications and relationships with um, communities. And what we've heard, or I guess I could say like, what I'm confident to share is that uh, so many of our community partners who are women just say like, I didn't know that women could be leaders. I had never seen female leadership. And thank you for um, just proving to me that that we can. Um, And I think it's pretty, knowing that not all international development does that 
but knowing that when you do, it really can change everything. Um, it's, I think it's just the most important thing. And to the second part of your question, rural women specifically are at the forefront of fighting hunger, uh, in large part because, uh, in a lot of rural communities and not all certainly, um, in a lot of rural communities, a lot of, uh, and this is, I don't want to say, <laughs> I'm going to say this and knowing that this was not true for every single place. A mm-hmm. lot of young men and middle-aged men have left to go to the cities and the men that are left are not, um, it is not the man's role in any case to farm or to care for the, for the family. So even if men are still in the community, um, it is the women's role to provide for her family. And so you see women, that's why women collect the water. That's why women collect the firewood. That's why women um, in some cases, but not all, of course, tend the livestock. That's why women are the, the main sustenance farmers for many households in um, rural parts of, of Africa. And what you then see is that a woman's time is spent 100% caring for her family, caring for the children, collecting the eggs, milking the cattle. Like there's so much that a woman spends her time on just to take care of the family. There's no time or income really for her own dreams, ambitions, goals. And so what you see is that women don't have time for income generation or to run their own business, their own goals, their ambitions. And there's then no income to send kids to school. There's no time for additional income generation. It's the cycle of poverty that continues because women don't have the agency or time to do things that aren't around the house. Um, And this is a gross generalization, as I've said. So what we Mm -hmm. see is that when the Hunger Project works with a community, the emphasis is on women can be leaders, women should be leaders. And how can we help you find time, find agency, find income, so you can do what you think is important for your family and your community. If that's buying some pigs and starting a pig farm, if that's um, opening a restaurant, if that is saving enough money to expand your house and send your kids to school, if that is, you know, whatever that is, whatever you want that to be, how can we help you achieve that? at the individual level and at the community level. So the community says, well, you know, we've had really tough issues with access to water. It's like, okay, well, that's our, if you think that is your number one priority, that is our number one priority for you. And so it's not a preset condition of um, here are the, you know, here are the goals you need to hit to be hunger free. It's what goals are important to you. What is important to you to see in your community where we can comfortably say, we've done all we can for you. You are on the path to self-reliance because we know communities can find it in themselves to move beyond and out of hunger and poverty. It's, and it's in some ways our like distinct honor and pleasure to see communities move beyond the need to work with us We love when epicenters and communities graduate to self-reliance and we can exit knowing that they are on their path to a healthy 
uh, fulfilling life of self-reliance and dignity. So I think that was a very long-winded answer to the question of why it's important to start with women. Mm-hmm. No, but it's it's so heartwarming to hear. Like when you're saying, you know, uh, these women come to you and they're like, I've never seen a woman in a leadership position. That's so powerful, I think, because I mean, at least here in America, I mean, we're used to seeing women in leadership positions now. Of course, that's been a long time coming. But, you know, it, I, I think we just don't realize that there are other places where women are still not in, in these positions and they're not seeing these things. So it's really wonderful to hear. Um, so I think that as a college student myself, and um, if I were to put myself in the shoes of our listeners, who will also be primarily students, uh, they might be taking all this in and thinking about ways that they can help to tackle hunger. And um, it can feel like such an overwhelming challenge. Uh, and I think that a lot of students think like, oh, what can I as a 20-something-year-old do in, for such a worldwide issue? So I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, what do you think is the best way for students to get involved? And what kind of... Uh, help can they provide to sort of push this ball forward? Absolutely. Um, I think there's a few things and it doesn't just need to be one thing and it doesn't need to be everything because students are busy. You're getting an education. You are doing a lot of work. You're not getting enough sleep. Like I've been there. I've done that. Um, I know. Uh, I think some of the most important things, students are really youth whatever situation you're in, the most important thing to do is just to educate yourself sounds condescending, but understand the reality that's what hunger and poverty look like is one thing. And then understanding how your humanity is tied up in the humanity of everyone else's. And so it could be that it feels like that problem is so far away. What is it that I could possibly do? It's too insurmountable. There's no way we could ever solve it. Mm-hmm. Well, not with that attitude, there isn't. So knowing that everything you do helps, number one. Number two, knowing the truth, and the truth sounds like capital T truth, but knowing what's true about chronic hunger and chronic poverty is not starvation 100% of the time. It's not bloated bellies 100% of the time. That exists and it's terrible. And the more mundane reality of People just don't have enough time or money or access generally to get what they need. So I think understanding the problem and being cognizant of the fact that it can feel far away and trying to key into the the human part of each other and knowing that it isn't, it isn't far away. This problem is as far away as you let it, it doesn't mm-hmm. need to feel far away. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if students want to feel like they're doing something impactful and actionable and concrete, getting involved in Feel Good is a great way to take concrete action. Um, and I think other things you can do, hunger isn't just an international issue. There are, especially now in the pandemic time when so many people have lost income, Um, There are food banks all over the country. And if you don't think you can donate money or donate food, donate your time. Um, And if you don't feel like you can donate that, well, evaluate what's a priority for you. 
And I think even for students struggling with hunger, because that's a very real thing that happens on college campuses because the inequality in this country is so out of whack, mm-hmm. knowing that it is not a reflection on you to ask for help and to educate your own campus about what it's like for people that are sitting next to them in class or virtual class as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's okay too. I think there's so, there's such a big stigma around charity and the Hunger Project's maybe unofficial tagline, if not totally official, um, is partnership, not charity. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't feel like we are giving and the people that receive our, you know, benefits are so thankful to receive. It's the situation that exists because of colonial imperialism as it was, is not going to be solved by throwing money or what white Northerners think is the solution at the problem. And that's true Mm -hmm. also domestically as well. So I think being an actionable part of the solution requires listening, knowing that it's not a getting out of a charity mindset, both internationally with, you know, THP and other um, international NGOs, but also your food bank down the street. Um, I think those are the important things I would, I would say. And, you know, there are other groups that are doing these things. So I hope feel good is your, is your thing. And if it isn't, there are other groups that are all about access to water or, health and sanitation or about um, employment skills and soft skills. Uh, So listen to what people need when they tell you what they need. And if you're someone that needs something, don't be afraid to tell people what it is that you need. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really great advice. Um, I think it's really important. Like you think of the problem of hunger and you think, Oh my gosh, this is such a huge worldwide problem. But as you said, I think, taking it down into bite-sized chunks, like, you know, looking in our own backyard instead of trying to solve the bigger problem. It's like the small things that will add up eventually. Absolutely. Like me, myself, and you yourself aren't, we, the two of us are not going to solve world hunger all by ourselves, but the more Mm -hmm. people that believe that it can end is really what is going to achieve so much more than, um, yeah, other things that don't feel as concrete because there are so many people still in this world that think, um, you know, extreme hunger is just a reality that we live with or poverty. Some people are just always going to be impoverished and that's just not true. We mm-hmm. know it's not true. It's a man-made problem and the solution is also, you know, should be human as well. So yeah, it can feel small, but know that every little bit counts. Mm-hmm. Well. Thank you so much, Erin, for taking the time to speak with me um, and for being here for our inaugural podcast. My name is Vishali and I'm with Feel Good. Thank you so much for joining us to our listeners out there. And if you would like to learn more or get involved with Feel Good's initiatives, please visit feelgood.org. And um, we would love to get as many students as possible on board with our mission. To learn more about Erin's organization, The Hunger Project, please visit thp.org as well. Um, Thanks again to Erin for having this wonderful, insightful talk. And please join us for our next podcast episode. Thank you.